Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. My name is Rachel Amaday. I am so pleased to be bringing you the final in my proof series for now. I will probably do this randomly as I get interested or do more research, um, but I am trying to make space in the coming months and year for um, podcast guests and also just different series. There are some things really burning up in my heart for our culture and for where we are at right now. I think we are struggling culturally in absolutely, it seems like every single area. And I think the church is reflecting that right alongside the culture. You know, we used to just talk about how the church uh, had almost as high a rate of divorce as the culture did now. The church seems to have almost as high a rate of everything as the culture does. It's getting really scary. And I think one of the reasons is um, because people don't really know their Bible. People don't really know who God is. People don't really understand the truths about our incredible God. It's why I just recently did a series on hell, because most of our concepts of hell actually come from mythology, not at all from scripture. And we've got to iron out. We have got to decide that we would rather have the truth than a convenient lie that keeps us in bondage. We know that the truth sets us free. And so um, my, my heart is just breaking for where we are at culturally, especially given the last week of events, what we're allowed to talk about, what we're not allowed to talk about, what we seem to, you know, kind of beat around the bush about with even within Christian circles, because we're so afraid of offending people. And in the meantime, People are dying. People are in cages. People are addicted to, to everything. Drugs, pornography, food, you name it. Uh, me, you know, prescription medication. People are addicted to their the drugs their doctors are prescribing. We are over-medicated. We are underfed spiritually. We, it's like there is that verse that says... You're poor and naked, basically, even though it seems like you're clothed, right? Even though it seems like you're well-fed, you are naked and you are starving. And that's what it feels like in America right now. It feels like the real secret is, even though everything looks good on the surface, in some ways we've become whitewashed tombs. And isn't it funny that that phrase, whitewashed tombs, applied to the legalism that was going on at the time of Christ, where the Jewish leadership had made up so many laws that weren't biblical and were forcing people to do them as if they were biblical. And that legalism made them whitewashed tombs. I would say today, it's the opposite issue. It's the fact that nobody is talking about how to return to obedience in a really effective and down-to-earth way. These are the things you do if you want to rid your life of darkness and get out of that cage. These are the things that God has commanded. Instead, it's kind of a free-for-all of as long as it feels like love. And guess what? It looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's a tomb. It's just another cage. 
The truth is that if you want a relationship with the Lord, you have to be interested in what He says, what He wants, what He has laid down, what His kingdom is going to be like. And I know if you're listening to this podcast, you are. You are people who are interested in what God says and what God has laid down in scripture. I know you care about that, but I think you would probably agree with me that unfortunately, too many churches have decided to go a different direction. And so uh, I, I want to be able to talk about those is issues with you all and have the time to really dig into the cultural issues of the day that we're dealing with now, because it's way worse than just, you know, this proof series has really been about equipping the saints with evidence of their faith in archaeology and history. And boy, hasn't there been a lot? There is so much. This series could go on for a very long time. But we are in a place where it's getting very, I, I, I don't know, the word might be just bizarre, how culture is not really atheistic anymore, is it? I mean, they kind of say they are, but no, they're definitely worshiping ancient gods. And I, I recommend this book to everybody right now because I think um, it is well done and fairly accurate. Jonathan Kahn's Return of the Gods. I think he focuses way too much on the United States of America when it comes to prophecy. I think all prophecy has to do with Israel and the land of Israel and what's going on there. But there are spiritual patterns and there are demonic entities, right? There are principalities. Paul says, your fight is not with flesh and blood. It is with spirit. There are principalities associated with the behaviors we are now seeing in culture. And we opened the door to those things in the United States of America, probably somewhere around the 19, well, probably in the 1940s when we invited the Nazis over to help us be better scientists. That was a bad idea. You can look that one up later. That's a rabbit trail. I'm not going to go on today, but uh, probably around the 1940s, I would say most definitely in the 1960s and 70s when we legalized killing our own children in the womb. And when drug use ran rampant, that particular generation then got into power after those two decades. And I feel like we have declined as a country greatly in every single area, health-wise, financially, spiritually, right? There is not one arena where we are not worse off than we were. And uh, I think that's due to a spiritual problem. So we need to be able to talk about this. And like I said, it's it's far beyond atheism. I believe now, and I think some of these people know it, they are worshiping ancient you know, gods that you saw in Babylon, gods that Nimrod would have been familiar with. And those spirits, those demons, those different entities have kind of been quiet, it has seemed like. Praise Yahweh that after Yeshua, it seemed like a lot of those really heavy demonic influences, um, you know, were not playing as large of a role. You know, I can't say that actually. I think if I look back at history, you can see different types of gods playing a very, very large role, very evil role in human history. But in the United States, once we finally got rid of the scourge and the evils of slavery, there seemed to be 
an, an incline, right? Pretty fast technological advancement was taking place. Pretty fast global advancement, uh, you know, economic um, wealth was was starting to come to this country in a way never seen before in human history. I mean, we had some incredible blessing uh, from from the begin from our very founding, and and because we started to do the right things in comparison to other countries on the earth, I believe we were blessed. But we've lost, I think, some of our we've lost some of our blessing. We've lost some of the shield that we had. And I, I in my lifetime, never thought I would see this level of terrible leadership and um, just consistent tragedy happening in our country. So I would like to start to talk about some of those issues again and to have time to do to dig in to what the Bible has to say about all of these things going on in our culture, in our world. Because brothers and sisters, we need to be prepared. You know, there is a coming time. I don't know if we'll experience it, but our children might. There's a coming time where Satan will be reigning on the earth in such a way that he will even deceive the saints and where it will, he will be, the Bible says it won't be possible to, but he will, he will be so good at deceiving that even the bride could be deceived, even though that won't be possible. The bride of Christ, the bride of Christ is going to know, she's going to know who her savior is. She's going to be able to tell, but many will be deceived. This will be a heavy deception. If you don't know the word of God backwards and forwards and understand it in its context and understand what I wrote about in my book, which is the pagan Catholic history that has come in and wrecked some of the meaning. If you can't untangle all of that, I really believe it will be very easy for you to be deceived. That's why I do this. That's why I'm doing this because God has blessed me with great teachers over the years who helped me read the Bible differently. And slowly but surely through the work of the Holy Spirit, I began to understand just how dangerous it is to lie about what God has said. All right. That is a very, very long intro. I, I, I got to keep going. We'll talk about this later because there's stuff and I know there's stuff going on with you and there's a crisis with young people right now. And I know you're scared or you're suffering or you're worried or you're on your knees before the Lord, you know, because if you're paying attention and you haven't given it to God, this is affecting you. I know it is. What's going on in the world is affecting every single person. Whether it's just the prices of groceries, I know you're affected. We've got to talk about these things. We've got to gird up. Let's get in our uh, let's get in our communities of faith, and let's encourage each other, and let's talk about the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about what this looks like. If things get any harder, let's talk about how to help each other. What if we did this together? Listen, for those of you who are listening right now, this particular podcast usually isn't free, but I wanted to make my last one free to you. Uh, for $5 a month, you can get all my podcasts, all the extra stuff I do, all the music that I've sent out and that I will send out. Um, and I know I haven't done a lot of extra stuff lately, but that is because of the season. I do work for a church. This is a Busy time of year, folks. <laughs> uh, but I will be back, getting back to it here pretty soon with at least two extra podcasts a week. I have a song start for you all that's a cover, actually, that I think y'all are going to like. So there's stuff in the works. But if you join up, 
uh, I think we're going to have some extra opportunity to have discussion. And, um, and I, I would also love for you to share this with your friends who you believe are your friends, your friends in Christ, people who you know really are pursuing truth. And these are the people that you'll have the conversations with. You know, it might be based on something I'm talking about or might be based on something you guys are studying, but get into these groups of people, get into those small communities where you know that you know that you know that you're with brothers and sisters and that you all are on the same page, at least with regards to believing the whole Bible is true and that Jesus is the Messiah, because we're going to need those communities. I want to encourage you. And if this is the main thing you're listening to every week, I, I want you to find a church. Reach out to me if you're in my area and you're looking for one. I'll give you some suggestions. Um, and I want you to reach out to me. Listen, we need to hold each other accountable. We need to pray for each other. We need to help each other out. All right. My last proofs podcast for for the time being probably won't be my last. The last one that's been weekly. Okay, we're going to talk about King David. I know I've talked about King David before, but there are just extra things, extra evidences that King David, he and his kingdom really did exist historically, archaeologically. This there's so much evidence. And why do I want to point to King David? Well, King David is such a giant character in the Bible. It's really important that we under understand who King David is and what he represents. You know, there is the ancient rabbinical view of the Messiah. Even though the current Jew, Jewish view is not this, the ancient rabbinical view is that Yeshua would come twice. And the first time he would came, he was called Messiah ben Yosef. He was modeled after Joseph. He was a suffering servant. He was salvation for the world. I mean, Joseph at his time, through his wisdom, through his storing of grain, saved the entire known world in his day. Think about that. That's exactly what Yeshua did when he died on the cross. It wasn't just for the Jews, right? In fact, the Bible was never just for the Jews. We have Maybe we'll talk about one that one of these days. It was ne- the Old Testament is not just for the Jews. The law was not just for the Jews. We have got to get rid of that. The Bible doesn't say any such thing. There were lots and lots of people who came out of Egypt with the nation of Israel. This thing was never just for the Jews. It was always for the whole world. And Yeshua came and he suffered on our behalf for the whole world. And then the rabbis believed the second coming of Messiah was called Messiah ben David that he would return again as a conquering king. Now we know some things about David. David was kind of associated with war. And it's one of the reasons he was not allowed to build the temple. There was too much basically blood on his hands. And it wasn't that he wasn't supposed to go to war most of the time that he did. It was just that it was he was too bloody of a man to be the one to build the temple, which is kind of an interesting concept, isn't it? You don't want to have had to kill a lot of people, right? Even in war, even in battle. That is a heavy, heavy burden to carry. And God wants his temple and his things to be about life. And David was too connected to death. So King Solomon built the temple. But we do know that when Yeshua returns, he's not coming as a suffering servant. When he comes, the whole world's going to know that he came. It's going to be like lightning from east to west is what the Bible says. It will be obvious. You won't need a screen in front of you to know what's happening. You won't need technology. It's going to be in your face. It's going to be powerful and he's going to wreck his enemies. He will come as a conquering king. He will be associated with, well, 
destruction. Destruction of Babylon. And he's going to come and he's going to take over and he's going to reign. So it's important to understand the character of David because it really relates to our Messiah. Plus, his character is so interesting, right? The, the humanity of the mistakes that he makes. And yet, because he never ran after other gods, he never worshipped other gods, God still called him a man after his own heart. And because he repented and because he called Yahweh his God, he, got, he gets to still lay claim to a godly, righteous man in Scripture, an interesting guy. So let's talk about some more evidence of David's existence and his kingdom's existence, okay? So when King David captured Jerusalem, uh, he was taking it over from the Canaanites in approximately 1000 BCE. At the time, it was a small city that was situated on a ridge known today as Mount Zion. You can find that story if you go to 2 Samuel 5. So, of course, he's going to set to build a palace, which Haram, king of Tyre, assisted in the construction of by providing cedar logs, carpenters, and stonemasons. You can find that in 2 Samuel 5.11. According to the Bible Archaeology Report, and I quote, from 2005 to 2007, Israeli archaeologist Dr. Eilat Mazar unearthed what is now known as the large stone structure, a monumental building complex with walls that were six to eight feet wide, constructed of impressive stones, and to which a beautiful five-foot-long Proto-Aeolic capital likely once belonged. It is located above the famous Iron Age stepped stone structure, which probably supported the fortress of Zion and the large stone structure above. The pottery found beneath the large stone structure dated the first phase of its construction to the beginning of the Iron Age 2A, which is the 10th century BC, the time of King David. Based on the palatial nature of the structure and the fact that its location matched biblical data, like 2 Samuel 5.17, where it says David descending from his residence to the fortress, okay, Mazar identified the structure as David's palace, end quote. So we have this large stone structure right in the location where it makes the most sense for David to have built his palace after taking over from the Canaanites in that area. So according to the book of First Kings, the Gihon Springs is where the prophet Nathan and the high priest Zadok crowned David's son Solomon in 962 BCE. Solomon's great achievement was building the first temple, which stood on the nearby Mount Moriah for more than 400 years. Now, sometime in the 8th to 9th centuries, Solomon's descendant, King Hezekiah, had a channel cut into the rock under the city of David to secure water supply to the temple and surrounding inhabitants in case of an enemy invasion. Hezekiah's tunnel guides the water from the Gihon to the freshwater uh, Siloam Pool Reservoir. So according to JNS News... And I'm quoting here, the site of Solomon's coronation ceremony, the Spring Citadel, is an enormous 3,800-year-old Canaanite fortress revealed in 2014 after 15 years of excavation. Built around the Gihon Spring to isolate and protect the city's water source, the fortress walls are 7 meters, 23 feet wide, and each stone measures 2 meters to 3 meters, which is 6.5 to 9.8 feet. That's really thick. Wow. The spring citadel was in use until the Babylonians destroyed the first temple in 586 BCE. It appears to be the largest fortress built in the land of Israel until the time of Herod. In 1867, Queen Victoria sent Captain Charles Warren to dig in the Mount Moriah area. 
due to restrictions set by the Ottomans, he could only excavate the southern slope. And that is where he uncovered the city of David and Hezekiah's tunnel. He discovered a massive fortification and a vertical shaft that rises to an upper man-made tunnel, connecting the Gihon Spring to the top of the hill. The shaft was named Warren's shaft in his honor, end quote. So additionally found at this site are evidences that King Hezekiah, which came later than David, uh, may have lived in a location considered to possibly be David's house that he built there. Now, this would make sense because the kings in succession after David would likely live in the king's palace. Discovered in 2007, two charred pottery seals were found in that area. They were inscribed with names that the Bible mentions in connection with the prophet Jeremiah. Yehukal ben Sheremiah and Gedaliahu, there you go, were sent to throw Jeremiah into a pit after he gave a bad report to the king. And so those two names are actually on these charred pottery seals located right in that area. So I came across so much more evidence of David and Solomon's kingdom as I was researching this stuff. There is just a treasure trove of archaeological detail that points to the existence of these kings and the line of kings that followed David. Even in Egypt, where they found possible reference to David from Pharaoh Shishak after his campaign in Palestine, also found is something called the Tel Dan Stel, and I've included that picture in the notes for today's podcast. I'd like to read from Biblical Archaeology Report on this one. It says this, the most significant artifact related to King David is most certainly the Tel Dan Stella. In 1993, archaeologists at Tel Dan unearthed a fragment of a monument found in secondary use in the remains of a wall on the eastern section of a large pavement at the entrance to the city gate. The next year, two more fragments from the same monument were discovered. The fragments belong to a victory stele recording the exploits of the king of Aram, likely Hazael, although his name is not given, over the king of Israel, and his ally, the king of the house of David. It literally says on the stele, house of David. It dates to the 9th century BC, about 200 years after David's rule. Avraham, Biran, and Joseph Neve, who published the Aramaic inscription, translated the relevant lines as, I killed Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, and I killed Ahaz-Iahu, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. Archaeologist Dr. Bryant Wood explains the historical context of the Tel Dan Stel. It was most likely erected following Hazael's defeat of Jeram and Ahaziah at Ramoth Gilead in 841 BC. That story is detailed in 2 Kings 8, 28-29. The occasion for the breaking of the Stella was probably when Jehoash, king of Israel from 798 to 782, recaptured Israelite territory previously taken by Hazael. This happens in 2 Kings 13, 24-25. It appears that the monument stood in Dan near the city gate for over four decades. It was a constant reminder to the Israelites that they were subject to the Arameans. The Tel Dan Stel establishes the historicity of King David, affirms the biblical description of his dynasty, and is a stunning rebuke to minimalists who once thought Israel's greatest king was no more than a mythical figure created by much later writers to give Israel a glorious backstory. End quote. So that stell is actually the oldest mention of David's kingdom that has been found to date. And this is actually, yeah, a magnificent find and a very big deal, you guys. Um, so 
there's more. There's more to the evidence of King David and his kingdom and Solomon and his kingdom. And the evidence goes on and on. I hope that you have enjoyed this series and that you will go back to it when you have people who are doubters uh, about the historicity of the Bible, because there is just too much evidence out there that the Bible is true. It's accurate. And listen, if you haven't been to Israel and you are doubting what the Bible has to say, let me just tell you, after going, I wasn't even there long enough to, it felt like I was there for no time at all. I'm going back, by the way. After going, there's no doubt in my mind the stories in the Bible are true. And when you're there, you just, you see it. It makes so much sense. And you see these locations. You also see why it takes so long to discover some of this stuff, especially in old Jerusalem, because that city is built up over all of these centuries. And so you're not walking on the streets Jesus walked on. You're walking on streets that are, you know, 10 or 20 feet up above where the streets were when Yeshua was on the earth. I mean, that city has been built up, 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 up. And so it's difficult how much they have to dig down to find some of this evidence. And yet so much of it has been found and discovered in the locations the Bible details from the time periods the Bible details. This book has been too confirmed to doubt. I mean, really, if this was just a made-up fairy tales, none of this stuff would exist. And yet you can go back through my proof series and hear all of the amazing proofs of these Bible stories and the existence of all of these people. So you can trust that the Bible is true that it is accurate, that it is not mythology, that it is not fairy tales, that these things really did take place. And that is good news, isn't it? Uh, you can trust the word of God, even in English, even though I just had a conversation with somebody about how difficult the English language is in understanding a lot of scripture. But listen, even in English, God in his grace has made these words available to us in a way that we can really understand and now, with all the knowledge we have, we can dig even deeper, which is what we plan to do on this podcast. All right, y'all. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I will be back next week with something new. We're going to start talking about something that I think is going to be challenging for people. I know it's been challenging for me. It's something I've grappled with over the years. Um, and it's something I think most believers don't want to think about or talk about. But I think we need to because I think we need to get our minds and bodies and spirits ready for whatever is coming. So uh, please join me for my next podcast and many blessings to y'all. Till next time.